And we're back. Welcome to the Print Your Games podcast, the podcast about what's new and awesome in 3D printing for games. I'm your host, Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Param. I'm Kristen Sowards, also known as Lost Spheres. And this week we are joined by Ignazio from Labyrinth Models. Hey, Ignazio, thanks for joining us. No, thank you for having me. So... For those of you who do not know, uh, Labyrinth Models is an amazing little uh, set of uh, models. Oh, sorry, sorry. It's an amazing creator of some awesome, like, mythical-inspired models that I absolutely love. It's got a really, really streamlined, reserved art style. It's got, like, a lot of professional polish. And their stuff takes really great original twists on classic favorites. And you really need to check them out. Now, before we jump into the main interview, um, Ignacio, we'll let you lead off. What are we working on? What's our current projects for our games right now? What are you working on for your game? So I'm working on next month's uh, Radiant Elves, which is my take on High Elves. Oh, and... yes. I saw these. They look glorious. Like, I'm kind of regretting that I already like printed hundreds of of <laughs> models for my high elf army because i want these so bad sorry for interrupting you continue <laughs> um yeah i did not show that many models um right now yes that is one of the archer it's probably the least exciting let's say because it i don't know that's pretty exciting actually i love this the is the yeah, best looking elf archer i've seen in a while <laughs> okay but i'm working on a few more um, elite units and characters including that, the that excites me <laughs> uh yes i got in the plan a cavalry unit uh two elite infantry units standard spearmen mm -hmm. and a couple of mages and mm -hmm. anything else i can afford to uh to squeeze in but yeah i did not reveal that many information anyway right now on mm -hmm. that one all right so i mean i can understand do you do you get to do any like printing and painting for your own games do you play any games um i used to um, i am a avid gamer but unfortunately right now i'm dedicating all my spare time to the project to the mm -hmm. Patreon project so no, unfortunately, cannot afford it that much. That is why I'm releasing more uh, color renders, simply because it takes longer to paint a traditional miniatures than uh, rendering a miniature in color. But yeah. I really appreciate the color miniature renders. Like I wish more of the creators would do that because it really helps like notice a lot of the details mm -hmm. and and see the possibility space of what those models could be. Yeah, and it gives you a good stepping off point if you're if you're kind of floundering to get the the color scheme you want. Mm -hmm. And oddly, it usually gives me ideas to be like, oh, I would do that a different color or I would pick that de detail differently. But sometimes uh, they're just so good that you just go with what you do. And I, I am always excited by what I see from you. But if people are interested, I could even offer different color schemes because it is relatively easy easy to just switch colors, you know. So that is an option, for example, could create different uh, blue radiant elves instead of the black and red uh, color scheme I picked. Well, I could easily I see of... them painted up more in like a dark elf style too. Yeah, but but you you already have a, like this amazing dark elf set too. He I does. guess this would compliment them uh, if yep. you wanted to paint it up that way. Also, I love these... For... One of the things I really appreciate about your different sets is that you kind of go there with the mounts in, in ways that a lot of people don't. Like, you had Valkyries, and they're riding giant wolves. You had Dark Elves. They're not riding raptors. They're riding drakes or, or some sort of dragon lizards, and they look cool. And all of your sets really do kind of have, like, awesome mounts that I appreciate that, that, that look different than just a boring horse. Uh, you do do some horses. Uh, not to say that uh, you don't sculpt a, a good horse. And I also appreciate that your mounts fit on the base and don't encroach on every model around them's base like some companies do. It's like, uh, how am I ever going to rank these up? <laughs> yes, actually, I pay particular, particular attention to the model's uh, uh, function. Um, because uh, I designed my models first as gaming pieces. And it is important that they got a reasonable footprint anyway, like you were saying, so they need to fit inside their, uh, their base. Uh, they need to be uh, to have several attach attachment points, let's say. So all my infantry miniatures, so they got at least two attach points. Unfortunately, you cannot create really dynamic poses or models jumping. I mean, I still sometimes manage to do that, but I need to attach them to a piece of scenery uh, 
something mm-hmm. like that. But it is I important can, that yes, I can really appreciate that because uh, speaking speaking back to dark elves, I was working on a dark elf project for an army that I kind of ultimately abandoned and threw all the models away. Uh, but like when I was printing off the blade dancers or the witches, depending on what game you're playing, but you get the idea that the, uh, yes. the half naked dark elves with the two swords. So <laughs> many of those models I wanted to print are like anchored to the base by their pinky toe. And I'm like, that is going to break off the second someone breathes on it. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate just, that they're, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Yes. It's not just um, the base or the feet or the anchor, but even the uh, staves. Uh, spear staves or magic staves or any other uh, mm-hmm. fragile elements i usually tend to make sure that they uh, attach uh, to the main body with uh, several contact points for example uh, i think all my spear staffs staves they got at least three contact points sometimes even five in some of my models and mm. to do that i use sometimes a cape or a flowing uh, robe element or even jewels or other uh, things uh, it is important also because if you got a really thin uh, staves, they uh, they may misprint. For example, in that model, I think that the stuff is attached to uh, the cape, the hand, of course, and, and the foot. So right. pay attention that the, there are not really any small fragile uh, parts which are separate from the main body. For our listeners, uh, I've pulled up a picture of their um, their Amazon set. That's correct. This is from the Amazon set this month, right? And yes, it exactly. is a, a, a sorceress or a priestess who's got this really cool looking snake staff that is, and I can see like it's her hand is holding the staff and then like the staff is touching the end of her cape and her dress and her shoe. So this mm-hmm. that's going to be a robust, like if I print that in some green, uh, in my, in my tenacious blend, uh, ABS resin, yeah, that's gonna I can throw fine. this, I can throw this on the asphalt and it'll survive. Yep. <laughs> Not that I'm going to be just chucking your models at the asphalt there, but, uh, yeah. That it would survive should I try to do it. Before I forget, you mentioned horses. He also did construct horses that are really slick for his Magitek set, which was one of the things that first drew my attention. I think I actually saw a preview for the Magitek set during your... Because was that during... You are working on that when the other Amazon set came out? Um, yes, you are correct. And so I ended up getting the Amazon set too, because then I saw that and I was like, oh, cool, that's this month. I'll get that. And then the Magitek set came out. And, uh, oh, you know, I, I did those... not realize that those were clockwork. Powers. Yes, they are. <laughs> if you look at them and it, it's subtle, right? Like a lot of times you'll see somebody oh, with, with uh, horses that are like steampunk. Then they're all, they're kind of, you know, janky with like big, like exhaust pipes and like, a little too techie for me. That just looks slick. It mm-hmm. looks slick and composed and stylish and magical. So. It reminds me of the horse that is ridden in the novel, um, the Diamond Age. That okay. They used to like travel around, and that looks so awesome. Wow, where did the the inspiration for this Magitek set come? Like, wh- what what inspired you to do this set? Uh, actually, the set is not complete uh, because I did separate that in two parts: the constructs and the. Uh, uh, human troopers, human uh, character mm-hmm. models. <clears throat> uh, so at the same time, in the same month, I did release the constructs, which are called the Gladius Sentinel. It is probably in a different um, entry. It's in a different picture. Entry. That's actually the yes. first thing I printed from you was those big sentinels. Uh, and um, so I did want to create an 18th century uh, human army with magical constructs, also because I'm uh, passionate about uh, that, yeah, those are the constructs. That is actually a, uh, a modular set, a modular kit. So you can create different models, but just by uh, switching different heads and weapons, bodies, legs. Oh, that's so cool. So, sorry for just going like pure geek mode, but I just really appreciate it. Like, like your stuff has this like elegance to it that is like nobody else is doing uh you've got all of your 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 pieces look like they could have come right off of a graphic novel yeah they're very clean uh you know and and because of that they also are very easy to interchange things when you do mod- modular stuff mm-hmm. i would say maybe artisan gilgits is close but that's about it that i can think of that's right. so tight it's so such a different style ag has like got this like exaggerated uh yeah, this warcrafty style and this is like regal and yeah refined and classical and i love it love it so much and also your details are bold you have like there's a lot of filigree on some of your your those um those troopers in this magitech set and some of your elves but you're you you 
bolt you you uh push out that filigree enough so they're very easy to paint like i don't have to go chasing uh my imagination and like is that was that meant to be a hem line or is it a layer line and i'm, I'm screwing it up you, you've got this really clear easy to paint miniatures and that goes a long way also contrast paint takes to your mini so great <laughs> Well, they got some small, uh, very fine detail, but I usually do use that mm -hmm. only for uh, texturing. And yes, I do realize mm -hmm. that uh, very small detail is difficult to paint. But like I was saying, sometimes uh, the very, very intricate and fine detail is used just for texturing mm -hmm. so that you can just lightly dry brush, dry brush over it, but mm -hmm. you don't need to individually paint. Uh, mm -hmm. Also, a few people have, have printed my models at a relatively large scale, um, around, I don't know, Ooh. five inches tall. And wow. Still, so yeah, like mini figurines, actually mm -hmm. large figurines. And so if you got some very fine detail, it will still also and it will show in larger prints. But they're, yeah, they're mainly designed for 28 to 32 millimeter games. Now, one of the things like we like to talk about when we bring on a guest for the first time is sort of like their background and what led them to being in the industry. So could you give us a little bit about your background, both like your gaming background and your art background and, and how you decided to become this independent modeler? Um, all right. So like many other miniature sculptors, I started as a video game artist. More specifically, mm -hmm. I've worked for years as a character artist. So I, I was already familiar with most 3D packages and I've been using ZBrush for several years now. However, I've always been more interested in the tabletop, tabletop gaming, like RPGs, board games, and war games. And like many of us, during the years, I've been collecting hundreds, if not thousands of miniatures. And because working in the video game industry is not always a rewarding experience, to put it nicely, <laughs> at one point I decided to leave the industry and focus on my passion of sculpting gaming miniatures. Uh, regarding the you... gaming, yes? Mm -hmm. Go keep going. Yes, yeah, so regarding the gaming background, my interest in the hobby started with uh, fantasy literature first, and then playing uh, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons in edition. Oh, yeah. Later, okay. yes. You later, are more contemporary uh, to me than I thought. That's cool. What authors What authors did you read when you were first reading the literature? Yeah. What's the fantasy um, books that got your heart? Yeah, I think I started with Dragonlance, so by Margaret oh, Weiss okay. and Tracy Hickman. Yeah, those were the very first games, and then I moved to the Forgotten Realms uh, novels and later branched in other uh, authors. But besides the uh, the RPGs, I also tried a few board games, historical board games, and then Warhammer, and then I became addicted to <laughs> miniatures gaming. Mm. So, so what, when you do get the odd chance to play, because it sounds like you've suffered the same curse that many of us do that get involved professionally in the industry where you no longer have time to play the games you're helping to promote and or make, uh, what is your miniature game of choice right now? Uh, right now, unfortunately, I'm only, I can only afford to play board games. So I try to play dungeon crawler board games so that even if I can't afford the time to for a full D&D session, I can still mm -hmm. get... Uh, some limited experience of dungeon crawling. So yeah, mainly a few board games. I mean, in the past I could afford to play even historical board games, like I was saying, uh, Napoleonic uh, board gaming at some point a few years ago, but uh, not much more than board games right now. What's your That's favorite interesting. dungeon crawler? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, okay. yeah I, I like dungeon crawler board games when I can. Like you totally nailed it. It's D and D light. What what ones do you like? What's your favorite? Uh, for example, I did enjoy the uh, D and D adventure board game systems. I think they're called. Uh, okay. They started yep. with Castle Ravenloft and then yep. Breath of Ashardalon and a few others. I think I've got three or four of them. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, those are really light, let's say. But, yes, they are. Yeah, but um, they're nice for a D&D experience. Yep. Anyway. Very quick play. Yes. Have you ever uh, 3D printed any of your models or custom designed them for the board games you play? Uh, only for personal use. So I did mm -hmm. play some terrain pieces for a few um, games, workshop games. Uh, for example, I've been playing um, Warhammer Underworld recently simply because it's a very... Mm -hmm. uh, a condensed uh, format of their right. Age of Sigmar uh, large mm -hmm. game. So, uh, and I did practice by sculpting a few uh, terrain pieces for that game. Oh, awesome. I've been, uh, I got to play a little bit of that this last PAX at PAX Unplugged. It was a fun 
thing. It's really interesting because it's like it's a Warhammer game, skirmish game that takes place on a hex grid and you use cards as your attacks. So it's like got this collectible card board game element to it, but still get to paint some really cool looking models. What's your favorite faction? Uh, for that game, uh, any yeah. elf. So dark elves, sea elves, um, mm, they're okay. luminous, realm lords. So they're current mm -hmm. age of Sigmar high elves. Uh, so you too have an elf love. Uh, yes. Yeah, because when I started playing Warhammer, um, my main two armies were dark elves and high elves. So for uh, that reason. Man after my own heart. I'm going to probably blame that on second edition D&D, though, because second edition D&D, if you played it, like elves were a really good sweet spot back then. And I, I imagine if did you play elves in that game, too? Uh, yes, I did, actually. <laughs> yeah. One of my friends, uh, Colin McComb, worked on Complete Book of Elves, and it's pretty. Infamous. Oh, wow. That was him? Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. It's one of my favorite books. It is, although a lot of people hated it because, like, it was so cool. And then it made people like, my dwarf character isn't as cool as your elf. So, yeah. There was a dwarf book and a halfling book that was really fun. Yeah, yeah. But I will say that Complete Book Elves was super cool. And then, like, if right. you threw in all the Dark Elf stuff and the Ari Salvatore series and everything, just mm -hmm. competing for elf love in second edition was rough. I don't think it was until oh, Tieflings yeah. were introduced in Planescape that there was really any rival yeah uh, i that. remember my forgotten realms days which i still would be a realms fan if i if i stuck with dnd there was like so many elf variants in, in forgotten realms it's like 13 oh, yeah. or 4 there's like a hope when you was re reading through the the third edition guide for it and you just flip the page to the elf section it's like a two page spread because that's how many different types of elves there were in that setting yeah yeah well in second edition if you wanted to play like a fighter magic user or something that was really your only option because it was really hard like a dwarf cleric you could be a cleric fighter i think but yeah it was it was it was a whole different multi-classing world and elves had all the cool stuff in my opinion well if you go far enough back to like zero edition like elf was a class that was a fighter magic user by yeah, default yeah. it was the only choice spells. it's true it's true <laughs> yeah and we've gone on a tangent i know Ignacio. so sorry about that no no no, no. i enjoy you have the, a healthy the... amount of fighter magic user elves in your background <laughs> uh yes yes i do and actually uh, i think dragonlance was one of my favorite uh, setting and for different Elf races? Four. Yeah, they did, yeah. Cargonesti, Sylvanesti. Yeah, Dargonesti, Sylvanesti, Colinesti, and oh wow, I can't remember the name of the sea elves once. Plus they had dark elves. Well, as well. Was it? I don't, I'm trying to remember. Anyway, yeah. But very cool, flavorful elf societies. Yes, they had four or five different races, not to mention the dark elves, which were not a separate race, but they were sort of rogue elves. Mm -hmm. And you did a sea elf set fairly recently too, haven't you? Uh, yes, like most of my sets, it is only half a set because I hope to release a second companion set some point mm -hmm. later this year or, or very early next year. But you've got crab ballistas. What more could you need now that you have crab ballistas? It's it's exciting actually because I see like some of the basics covered, so I'm like, what is going to be in these new sets? Um, uh, no, there's still so much that you can add. I like. To uh, hear also, that. I've got only two infantry units in this set, so and I am hoping to add quite a few more. Actually, there are so many which did not make the cut because I could not really afford the time to sculpt all of them. But you've got a cute little baby crab. I love the cute little baby crab. And it's got little cargo that's strapped to it. It's, it can be your familiar. Yes, it's it actually uh, familiar. Yeah, totally. Awesome. <laughs> Such a flavorful it. thing. And it's just like those tiny touches. Like I know people that would buy, like would buy a month of your Patreon just for that crab. <laughs> I click, click, click. <laughs> oh man. <sighs> So let's talk about your art background because there's definitely like a sense of classical art with this. And you were commenting on the um, the inspiration and uh, classical uses of our logo color in the pre-chat. So so what kind of art background do you've got packing there? Um, so I did study uh, traditional art at college. Mm -hmm. And so simple as that. And later I uh, did study uh, 3D art. So computer arts and did found a job in the video game industry shortly after. And they had the opportunity so long, of practicing 3D art for a few years now. So how long uh, did you spend in the gaming industry before breaking out on your own? Uh, quite a few years, at least, I would say almost 20 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So you've been through most of the 
most of what matters in the gaming industry then. Wow. Was that all with one company or did we... No, no, no. Several companies. Okay. And so they did work on most console games. Uh, no, most consoles. I mean, so PlayStation 2, 3, and more recently 4. Well, is there a game you could shout out to so that some of our listeners might have played of yours? Well, the, the one I'm most proud of is Dark Messiah Might and Magic, but it is a relatively old game. It's got more than I 15 know, but I love years that game. now. <laughs> so I've been the main artist for that one. I did model uh, most of the characters in, in that game. So it is relatively mm-hmm. old, probably more than 15 years old now, but it's still the one I'm more, the most proud of yeah. right now. I bought that game in college and, and spent many hours, many more hours than I should have playing it. All right, Alex, hey, we've got Alex in chat, and this is a good reminder that if you are listening to this episode live when we're doing the recordings, do please feel free to ask questions, and we will forward them on to our guests. So, Yeah, one, one how... of them did confirm that they will buy a pack familiar. It was P&D Mike. I am guilty. So how is, we've talked to a couple of video game artists before, but how do you feel the main difference is between uh, doing characters that are meant for games and doing a 3D printable model? I would say there are two entirely different fields. Uh, I mean, sculpting miniatures is similar to traditional uh, sculpting, <laughs> you know, like sculpting marble statues. Statues. Mm-hmm. In a way, you need to, to provide a finished product which is self-contained. While in video games, the characters need to be animated, they need to run in real time, it needs uh, to run with uh, with the engine uh, special effects, for example, with the simulation. So I would say they're not even comparable. I mean, of course, sculpting skills, uh, you, I mean, you can translate them between the different media, but no, not even comparable, I would say. So was moving over to the manager side uh, a learning process for you? Uh, not that much because... Uh, I've been passionate about miniatures for years, and I did even sculpt a few models in green stuff for my Warhammer armies, so I was already sort of familiar with the constraints of miniatures, let's say, technology. But so, no, it's not been that difficult. You must have had, like, the coolest Warhammer army uh, in the right? game group. <laughs> Yeah, also because I had Tyranid, uh, Tyranids, so I really wanted to sculpt my own. I mean, with those. Yes. Yes. I mean, the scope You're for about... a really creative army, I mean, you can do so much, so many fun and interesting models with that one. Yeah, here I was thinking you are about to tell me about how, like, I sculpted my own custom high elf art mage. And, like, no, nah, no, nah, it's bugs. It's bugs. Really cool looking bugs. So I want to see, like, a hybrid then. I want to see, like, druid bug elves from you. <laughs> Some you could get some stuff. You could get some bug monsters on the side. I would, I would be down. So, <laughs> well, in the oh. next couple of months, we'll start working on forest elves. I mean, traditional wood elves, anyway. And I will probably do a few creatures, but they will be limited to, you know, satyrs, fangs, and you know, traditional uh, forest creatures. And sneaking a bug. <laughs> so I'm noticing that you, your sculpts are different. Like you have more of an, I guess I'm saying it's like more of an army aesthetic to your releases. Uh, are you? Would you say that you're primarily targeting war games with your models or RPGs, or are you trying to hit both markets? Um, sorry for difficult question. We will pass. Moving on. No, no, sorry. I think that I lost the deal for a few seconds. Oh, okay. Yeah, we just asked whether or not you primarily are designing these sets for war gamers, or do you do you want tabletop RPG people, or did you want um, both, or what's your your target? Well, uh, because my interest, my personal interest is more in the um, tabletop battle gaming, skirmish, or full war games. So they're mainly intended for skirmish or war games. But I think that they they offer some opportunity for RPG players to set up uh, a full encounter with one of the factions. Mm-hmm. And definitely you can use all the um, leader hero models as playable characters. So I try to release three or four hero models each month and then a few units of creatures or, or warriors. But yes, they're mainly conceived as uh, army models. Uh, role player, I can appreciate 
appreciate having multiple Pokemon monsters. Like I appreciate these, like these pumpkin, uh, these pumpkin warriors that you have in uh, one of your sets. A, instead of just having one of the exact same posed orc a thousand times, it, uh, using the war game models has been preferable for for me. We have a question actually from a listener. Uh, this is from James Durgenwald. How long does it take to develop each model? Uh, that is not as easy to answer simply because I don't develop individual models. I do develop the entire faction at the same time. Oh, okay. Uh, yes, for example, when I'm starting to work on new models, I first research, design, and sculpt all the different individual parts. And by individual part, <laughs> I mean it. For example, for the clothing, I do sculpt uh, boots, uh, belts, uh, robes, tunics, and for the armors, all the individual pieces like Elms, pauldrons, uh, vambarses, sabatons, and rondels, all those little, uh, practically everything, uh, and all the different weapons, uh, swords, bows, quivers, spears, even really tiny details like the arrowheads, they need to be specifically designed. For example, none of my factions has got the same arrowheads as other uh, wow, oh, wow. that, that is a level That's of crazy. detail I was not Yes, expecting. they need to fit the aesthetic, for example, of, yeah, elf arrowheads are different because they're different from other races. Uh, but even the belt buckles or all the different decorations are different even within warriors or the same factions. Because, for example, I use the belt buckles or belt clasps to indicate their status or military role. And not to mention the, the swords. The swords also, the uh, for example, the Dark Elves, they got different patterns of swords. I think they got six or seven different patterns of swords from the one used by cavalry and or the ones used by the archers, which are smaller, or the scouts, which are different shapes. But anyway, so, so I do design all the individual parts, which... Oh, I, I the love the rank-based de detailing. That is crazy cool. I had yeah, no idea. I mean, I've noticed that there was differences, but I didn't really dig into it that deep. And that is something I'll be watching from now on. Yeah, probably don't, don't notice that, but the elms are definitely different. The breastplates and a few other details. And probably the sea elves are not even the most varied. But for example, in the new high elves, which I am designing, I'm really using a ton of different customizable parts. So I'm not really sculpting a single miniature. So more sculpting the aesthetic for the entire faction at the same time. So it takes time. Actually, most of the time, like I would say like 80% of the time is just sculpting all the small uh, details, like the, the scabbards, the swords, the greaves, uh, the boots, like I was saying, and all the different like elements. The vest of the guy who's on screen, that or the breastplate, whatever it is, that's probably got to take a second. Yeah. I'm, uh, for our listeners, I threw up the High Elf Prince model that is uh, previewed on their tribes page, and he has this golden breastplate that's just like layered upon layered uh, points going down and uh, impressive. You would not notice that, for example, the, uh, the archer has got a different breastplate, which is lighter, but you probably would not notice that glance it's almost so like they're leveled too in their appearance which is cool for role-playing gaming people like they can be like this is the high level guy versus whatever so uh let's talk about like what inspires you like let's i know it's the the most typical question ever but like you have a, a clear aesthetic so where what inspirations are you drawing from for how your characters look where the what their armor looks like how you're designing the fact that the ranks are differently like can you go into a little bit of like how you come up with how these fantasy models are going to be looked and dressed? Uh, well, I got a, a strong interest in um, uh, military history. I got hundreds of Osprey books. I don't know if you're familiar mm. with those. Mm -hmm. um, so my interest lay mainly in military uniforms. So I tend to overdo those details. And so each unit has got its role within the faction, its own background, the history, and they so they got different uniforms than uh, than all the other warriors within the faction. Even for the Amazon army, actually, I had a ton of fun designing their background for the current month uh, Amazon army. I did write even a complex uh, background and and the reason for all their different. Uh, for all the different units. I mean, honestly, I have to give you props for the Amazon army having clothes compared to what some <laughs> artists do bring to the table there. Yeah, well, I still yeah. consider them to be scantily clad, but I mean, uh, luck yeah. But it works with the setting, luckily, because they're from from a region similar to the south of Europe, so it 
is reasonable. That, uh, yeah, yeah, I would say those costumes, them. even when they reveal stuff, those are still like those are spear people who would have to run in those leather skirts and stuff. And, th- and those are those are real. Like you, you can find historical documents. Yet you've still given them the flavor, so that they're st- still unique. And I appreciate it. You could use them, say, like for like a Theros game or some other, you know, Greco-Roman inspired setting. But at the same time, there's just a little unique flavor in that. And um, it looks real to me. It looks like it's a real place. I, I'd actually love to pepper you with questions about your campaign settings from your old games because I'm sure that some of this is inspired by that. And actually, if you're interested in the Amazon background, I can try to explain that in just very few words. Mm-hmm. Sure. So in my, okay, so in my fictional setting, all Amazons are adopted at childhood by their local temple, which is dedicated mm-hmm. to a single goddess from the Greek pantheon. And here they train in the martial arts most closely associated to the goddess. And the Amazons call themselves daughters of their temple's goddess. So for example, in my uh, models, you've got daughters of Hera, daughters of Artemis, daughters of uh, even Mars. And essentially the temple's Amazons develop into Uh, let's call them martial sisterhoods and of course not all temples teach battle skills and a few specialize in more esoteric expertise like the temple of aphrodite which trains healers or the temple of persephone which delves into necromancy cool so that was the basic of the do you have a temple of hecate on board for halloween Uh, that would be cool uh, (laughs) no no not yet yet. (laughs) well this is uh this is fun i'm also noticing that you do have a uh, there. You you sculpt a lot of women in your sets, uh, which again, like unless it is like themed. I, especially when I was first getting started and finding three D printed stuff, I was actually having a hard time finding just like soldier women or leader women characters for armies uh, when I wanted to. And like, uh, so do you have like what do you have to say about that? Like the fact that you've got a lot of male and female characters in your sets. Uh, okay, actually, from a business point of view, I'm not sculpting that many female uh, models. Because, um, to give you an example, for example, the most successful set in my, my manufacturing store is the Black Widows, mm-hmm. which are practically the uh, the equivalent to the Games Workshop Dark Elf Witch. I think that set alone sold more than all the others combined. Oh, wow. So I should, no, really, and by large margin, yeah, that one. Mm-hmm. So I should. It's a great set. More, so sure. <laughs> let's sculpt even more female sets, and and actually I keep receiving requests for model uh, female models, but I'd like to focus more on um, male military units or characters, mages, and I will try to in the future. For example, compared to the rest, the the elves army or even the Magitek army is more. Uh, male centric but you do do really cool like the I'm, I'm thinking of the heavy armored swords women from that recent set those are so cool looking and like i can see so many like you know heavy armor or like um like a like a paladin of retribution maybe i mean yes she's still got a little exposed shoulder or whatever on her I'm, I, I don't know if you're seeing the ones i'm talking about uh param but they have these really cool kind of like winged helms and they've got like yeah, big, big chunky armor on them and just looks so forceful. Like I, I can see a lot of role players that would really like that with, um, you know, she, she looks like she's actually protected. So I think that's mm-hmm. pretty badass. Yeah. I like this axe people too. I, I guess I didn't see that one. So you have had, you mentioned that you got started into historical modeling before the Warhammer had tempted you over. How is, like, we haven't had the guest on to talk about historical wargaming before. How is that different from like a, a and pretzel war gamers uh, but even for historical war i mean war games there are different levels of gaming from skirmish games to full scale or you may be familiar with flames of war which is mm-hmm. in a, a six millimeter scale where you can feel the entire fleet of tanks tiny, tiny. <laughs> yes, a little collection in... of tiny tanks <laughs> <laughs> but I was more interested in 19th century European conflicts, as more specifically Napoleonic conflict. I mean, I did try a few others, even ancient history, like Roman conflicts, but mostly, yeah, Napoleonic. Uh, they're not that different, I would say, from Warhammer. I mean, there are dozens, no, actually hundreds of set of rules for Napoleonic, for example. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you can find any level from battalion right. to company levels and really anything in between. Did you I favor, mean, I... like, more realistic um simulation games or did you like ones that were more like fun to play optimized for that kind of experience no for historical war games uh, actually possibly 
possibly more realistic because it was also an opportunity to learn from history. Uh, I mean, it was considered more a simulation of actual real conflicts. So I did prefer the, the one which were pretty realistic and maybe not as fun as other more casual games. Do you have a game specifically, a historical game that you want to call out to that you've enjoyed more than others? You mentioned there's hundreds oh. of them out there. Yes, yes. No, actually, right now I can't even remember them because I did play them more than 10 years ago. I mean, I got still different set of rules, but no, I can't remember a specific one. Fair enough. All right. We got a question from chat from PND Mike uh, is asking... As a professional artist, how do you balance sculpting things that you have a personal desire and interest in to sculpting versus uh, sculpting for popularity, sales, or fan requests? Uh, that is a very interesting question because I would love to do more original models. And actually, mm -hmm. when I started, my intention was creating my entirely original universe of fantasy characters and factions. But now I understand that many customers are often looking for models to fit in their existing projects and collections. And for this reason, truly original miniatures are rarely as successful as the ones with a broader appeal. So, so I guess still trying to balance what is my personal interest and trying to do something a bit more original. But I can understand that if the players really don't need those models because they have no use for them in, uh, in role-playing games or in their own games, so there would be no point. I mean, I would be balance. flattered if they would buy them simply because they enjoy my models, simply to collect them. But mm -hmm. with so many models available and with so many patrons, so probably they need to choose to pick right. the ones which they need the most. Yeah, I always feel guilty when it comes like end of the month time to pick which Patreons I'm keeping and which ones I'm not. And it's like, so I really love this modeler, but they I have no use for the models they're going to be doing next month. Or it's been eight months since I've actually needed one of their models, but I love their art style. And it's like, oh, how do you balance? Like even even from a, a gamer, that's often a hard choice. It's just like collecting and printing for pure art or collecting and printing because you've got uh, your opponent's orcs that you need to smash into submission next Thursday. No, <sighs> I can really understand that. Plus, uh, there is one of my patrons, which is subscribed to 30 different uh, patrons each month. Oh so my goodness. Paying, yeah, 30. So he's paying $300 per month for all. Uh, I now patrons. feel better about myself. Thank you. <laughs> So that single that. fan is is keeping up the industry, <laughs> right? So oh I can understand goodness. that he will need to cut down a few at least a few patterns each month. So oh, they need. I felt bad uh, at ten. <laughs> oh, I, I left ten a while ago. Oh my gosh, Kristen! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm happy when I can keep it under twenty, but sometimes. <laughs> So, like we were saying a few episodes ago, you can save money 3D printing. We don't. But to be can. fair, <laughs> most most of my Patreons, as you know, are locked in at those early bird prices because I see a new artist and I'm like, oh, you're really cool. So, like, mm -hmm. you, you can get on $5 sometimes instead of or whatever. So, a lot of those are, that's what my major, like, body is, is just you, ones. You must fall for BOGO sales all the time at the mall. Um, I, I will remind you that the holiday winter sell on my mini factory was probably the most destructive thing in my life in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, uh, Ignacio, are there, are there other artists 3D uh, that you appreciate? Like, like print other people's models and stuff too? Well, um, I think they started collecting the Titan Forge models. And uh, mm -hmm. so okay. actually I learned the formula of a faction per month from their output, let's say. I mean, most other, I mean, Many other patterns are doing a faction per month, which is a tested and true formula in a way. Right, yeah. But I, mean, I really like those. It does seem to be like there's people like Titan Forge and Artisan Guilds where they like do uh, each month is a different faction. And with Titan Forge, especially, it's like here's almost everything you're going to need, um, leaning heavy on the modular stuff to achieve that. And then there's like dedicated Patreons like Last Sword and stuff where it's like we do. Chaos Dwarves. And we're the place to go to get all the Chaos Dwarves you could ever want. And every month it's going to be more Chaos Dwarves. Yeah, I think it, the two that I see the most that seem to be the most successful, and I enjoy both of them, is the, mm -hmm. the monthly theme. Now, sometimes it makes me drop things by mistake because it's like, on you know you know me, uh, Param, I drop goblins and orcs a lot because they're just mm -hmm. so common. Um, but uh, then there's the other model of the, we do three factions every month, and then we rotate one of them out 
every three months, like or something like that. That's you like know the pretty typical war model. Yes, yes, which I adore. Adore. I, I was I was wondering if that would come up because of the space bugs, but I, it sounds like there's not a lot of recreational time in your life right now. So, <laughs> I actually I'm digging Ignazio's formula of I'm like doing them in parts. It's like like um, the Dark Elf part one and two, and like hearing that High Elves is going to be part one, and there might be another Sea Elf part coming along is exciting for me because that is enough to get like I know that one part once a month is not enough to fill out the entire army project if you're going to go like i'm planning to go like real big into a orc army here soon and i can't do that with just one month's releases no matter who i grab it from even the titan forge or that they put out uh, put together would be enough for me to do like the entire orc army Big set part two would definitely play. pause for a second. Aaron. Your whole last sentence or two totally distorted out. Oh, I'm gonna have such hell editing this episode. Oh, it's only been a couple of times, but I think you're back. Your your picture's still a little stuttery, but I think your audio's back. But what I was saying is like I appreciate the nauseous technique of like releasing a big set and then coming back with a part two to fill it out because one month is often not enough. And, uh, a lot of needs for an army project. Names in chat is saying it's amazing. We now have too many choices. It wasn't that long ago where we were scrounging for options, and that is true. Um, for couldn't find any decent tie off sets, and way too many wood elves. And uh, everybody was doing dwarves. Like everybody, like I thought it was like a contractual obligation to sign up for my mini <laughs> factory that, that you give them a goblin set and a dwarf. Set. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Yeah. At least I could use the dwarf set, so because I have multiple dwarf factions in my settings. But yeah, that was that was rough for the goblins. I'm like, how many more goblins do I need? So Ignacio, I say this, I did not, I did okay. not get rid of the Titan Forge one, by the way. Sorry. <laughs> so Ignazio, you said that you are like high elves is next month, and you said something about wood elves coming up after that. Uh, yes, can't remember if it is right after, but very very soon anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I post my. 2022 releases schedules on my pattern. I was trying to track it down, actually, because I wanted to tell people what's coming up, because I think people should be joining your Patreon, and I wanted to give them kind of a sneak peek, but I'm trying to find that roadmap. I think in the tier description, uh, you should find Mm -hmm. the uh, the link to the page is the the last one in the tier description. All right. I will look for that. I found it. Yes. Thank you. That was smart. So how do you decide what... How how do you make the decision on what sets are going to be made uh, each month? No, I let my patrons decide. So I did come up with a poll with all the different options. The one which I would enjoy sculpting, working on the most, and they decided uh, which one in which order. Actually, uh, there were several options. So I put them mm-hmm. in order of preference. The one with the most votes is first, and then all the other ones in order of votes. Nice. So how many options did you put on that poll? I'm curious. Uh, there were several, um, I think, 20 different options. Oh, wow. That's a lot. Yes. And there are specific sets like uh, the Three Musketeers or Robin Hood. So a few, uh, not necessarily factions, but more like uh, encounters, full adventure sets. But they were not as popular as um, traditional armies. So, Kristen, what's our, what's our upcoming forecast for Labyrinth models look like? Okay, I was actually going to send you the visual because it's in this really cool graphic that's got like yeah, the yeah. whole Yeah, yeah, toss it to me on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little slow though. I was trying to like let you guys uh, stall for a second yet. So I'm glad that you at least said that you put them in preference because I have seen it happen where like the big, uh, the artist goes, hey, let me, what do you want me to sculpt? And I'm going to sculpt it. And like, it's stuff that they hate. Like I've been in (laughs) private conversations with some artists where it's like, I really wish they would let me stop sculpting. I'm going to say Batonians here so that I don't give away the actual artist in question. Because I'm so tired of of, of sculpting ponies. (laughs) Sorry. I'm having a bit of a trouble getting it mulled over here. Have you had the sculpt like models you absolutely did not want to sculpt often, Ignazio? Mm, Let me see. Let me think. I don't think so. I mean, there are a few models you get bored of or difficult mm-hmm. to do, for example, uh, war engines, but they're <laughs> difficult to, to sculpt and design, but no, not really a model which I did not like. Plus, if I don't like the model, I try to do an even better job on that model so that uh, 
we find some some challenge, some enjoyment on sculpting. So how do you push through when you are hitting that? I having fun today. Yeah, sometimes it's not as fun because especially when I'm designing all the different parts, like I was saying, like designing five different uh, belt buckers or five <laughs> different quivers. But yeah, I mean, it's pretty fun anyway. I'm really impressed that you do that because like so many artists have just like one quiver, repose it seven times, I'm done. <laughs> right. It's actually one of the coolest roadmaps I've ever seen because it's actually like very graphical, which I really appreciate. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I do appreciate this. Uh, it looks like this is, uh, okay, I'm going to pull it up on screen here. Uh, Ew. It looks like, like so we've, our, so we're, we're all the way down here in June where right. the legend of Robin Hood was supposed to be. No, that must be a very old one. That is odd. It, it was the link okay, that was in the, in the um, ah, it is. description. Sorry. Mm. Oopsie. Okay, so in that case, I need to update that. That was Amazon. That. June was Amazon's. <laughs> that was the first no, Amazon, so, though. Yeah, yeah, that sorry, was the initial uh, draft, but I did update that one based on the. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, sorry. It's the, the one that the link went to, though. I apologize. Well, now I'm excited, or uh, hopefully I'm not let down, though, because I saw September and I was like, there's demons on here, and, and, and Param knows how I feel about demon sets. Oh, God. you're going to have a really great month. Last, <laughs> the last two months, I will ask the again so we'll probably update the release schedule uh, i do that every three or four months oh right because like there's no guarantee that the patrons you have now are the same interest as the patrons from a year ago right yes right. exactly or maybe they did enjoy one of the sets uh, so they would like to see a second uh, second part of that set mm -hmm. for example i'm so... releasing only the first one of the high helps but maybe if they like that one i will release a second one before the year's end nice. and that so one many... is july right it's, it's high elves uh and sorry high elves next, is next month yeah. it's next month yes. is july so is august still the second magitech one uh no, august will be the second uh, kingdom of kemet so the ancient egyptian oh, okay system. Cool. Good. Then oh, September for ourselves and October uh, Magitech Empire. Okay. okay, that's sweet. Oh man, like I, there's so many good Egyptian sets. There's your sets. There's like the giant pyramid that Arc Villain did. Like I need to make me a, a mummy army. I need to make me an Egyptian army. <laughs> yeah, but I've not got any mummies in my set. Actually, I wanted to do something a bit different. So they're mainly humans. Actually, they are all humans besides yeah, a few. It's much more of a living uh, army, which. Is really cool, and I like I said, I I realized that last month I made that mistake of draft again, so I'm like, ah. But I know you, I have forty percent off, but I'm just like, it's a little bit more, you know. <laughs> I'll, I'll probably sneak through there, especially if you have another set coming out. I'll probably pick that mm -hmm. up and then add mm -hmm. add the stuff from the first set that I'm. You're also one of the um, the sculptors that has a tribes and the Patreon. How how's what's your experience with the two mediums right now? Actually, I've been only very recently contacted by my mini factory, and they asked. Uh, to ask me to set up a tribe uh, probably they're asking all other uh, mm -hmm. most of their users which don't have one already so I got very few subscribers but I started probably slightly more than a week ago uh, mm -hmm. the experience uh, well it's missing a few tools which Patreon has got but the my manufacturing representative was saying that uh, they're still developing uh, more tools mm -hmm. and actually they will release one uh, this month to track the loyalty uh, rewards and oh, yeah. during the next few months they will add a few more yes it's not as polished as pattern but uh, it's quite serviceable let's say uh, so do you do a loyalty reward they got their story option so you can post a few stories in my mini factory i don't know many people are reading that but it is quite interesting interesting to know uh which the other um creators are, are doing yeah, you were saying rewards. Yes, I do rewards. I got a set of six rewards, which you mm -hmm. will get one each month after the first one. No, actually, there are seven rewards. So if you subscribe for eight months, you will get the entire full set of seven uh, rewards. Oh, that's a neat way of doing that. Usually I'm used to like, you have to be subscribed for these three months and then you get the big model. I was very happy to see that it was continuous because I got one because I was worried that I had lost my, my buildup. And yeah, you gave me one, even though I my six months weren't all in a row. So I really appreciate that thing. So like if, if somebody just cut, do you do the annual plan? No, because I would be subscribed to it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry for being And, and anyway, they're all uh, special miniatures. I mean, I did invest a bit nice. more time in designing the rewards. They're all they're really little miniatures with different options. So they got, uh, yeah, at least uh, head options. And a few of them, they got special additional items. Uh, for example, the Dark Valkyries have got a, 
more intricate base. I think you can um, check all of them in the tier description again. So the tier description mm, should have all the, the links to, uh, to the... And do you yeah. think like loyalty rewards are important for, for uh, Patreon uh, companies like you? I don't know because again, most of the patterns, they base their subscription on purchases, decision. So I think mainly only if they need a particular month's content. I don't think that the re rewards are uh, that important to most patterns. So right. I think most of them, they only, uh, they only subscribe the month they need to get that content. But Whereas, you do have some really neat ones. The Abyss, I really like the Queen and that Demon Lord. It, like, there's some really neat ones in there. I think it's it's worth hanging around if you if you like his style for sure. I mean, you can still get on my mini factories because they're not exclusives, but they're relatively expensive and they're not discounted. So they're $7 right. each. No, 6 yep. to $7 each. So the entire set will cost you $35. So. Yep. All right. All right. So we are coming up on time and more people need to be supporting you on Patreon because your stuff is awesome. Uh, where can they go to do that? Uh, well, on Patreon, uh, Labyrinth Models, and the same on Tribe. It is really easy to, to find. Yeah. Is there anywhere else people can follow you? You got any social networks that you're keeping up? You got well, again, they can, find, uh, they can find Facebook uh, easily. Again, Labyrinth Models. And Discord, yes, I got a channel. They, can, they will access it immediately if they subscribe to Patreon, or they can find that in their channels. And for those of you who want to support us and help our podcast out, you can do so by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify or whatever stars you think we're worth. But a review definitely helps more people find the show. Um, so you can spread word of the show, give us a like and comment. If you're watching us on Facebook, subscribe, hit ring that bell and give us a comment. We super appreciate anything and everything that you all can do uh, to help us out and reach more people. Uh, you can find more of our content over at printyourgames.com where you'll find all of our episodes, our back episodes and all the links to subscribe to all the things. So you can listen to us on anywhere you want to listen to us. Until next time, I'm Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Param. I'm Chris and Sowards, also known as Lost Spheres. And our don't special screen guest, protector. Just don't forget your screen protector. And our special guest is Ignazio Cora. I'm so sorry for messing that one no, up. No, no, that's um, perfectly fine. And thank you very much. It has really been a pleasure and a very enjoyable evening. Yeah, this thank is you. Thank you so much. I'm so glad for you to come on the show, especially on such a short notice. It's been, it's been a blast. Thank you. All right, everybody else, we'll see you next time.